Acts chapter 2 for our message. And um, as you do that, the title of the message is going to be The Church Gathered in SMBS. That stands for Sunday Morning Bible Study. Sunday Morning Bible Study. Now, many things that we are accustomed to in our world have what we call a brand. And when I say the word Coca-Cola or Coke, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And Coca-Cola has been around for a long time, decades upon decades. So we say the word Coke, you understand that's a brand. Same with Sunday school. We say the word Sunday school. You know, for the most part, most of you here this morning know exactly what Sunday school is all about. It's also known as Sunday morning Bible study. In some places it's called life groups or small groups. And this morning I'd like to to share because uh, about this subject because I believe it's one of the most important ministries that we do in the life of the church is what we call Sunday morning Bible studies, Sunday school, small groups, uh, whatever you may want to call it, it is one of the most vital ministries in our church. Now we know that people kind of come and go. At times there are people that come into our worship service and they come maybe a little bit uh, anonymously. They're, they're looking us over, they're looking the church over, they're trying to decide, is this where God wants them? Maybe there's some issues going on in their life, and, and they're, they're seeking some spiritual guidance and counsel. So they're not as interested in getting involved in Bible study. They just want to come somewhat anonymously and kind of get the feel. But after a while, it's in, it's, to me, it's one of the most important things that we do uh, as a Christian is to get involved in the small group into the Sunday school, the Sunday morning Bible study, and, and to build fellowship. And there'll be a number of things we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to talk about the benefits in a few minutes of, of Bible study. But we're also going to talk about maybe even some of the reasons why people fail to get involved. Where did Sunday school come from? Do you know where it started? Uh, who started it? Well, Sunday school was started in 1780 by a man by the name of Robert Rakes. Robert Rakes was living in Goosechester, England. And this uh, period of time in English history, and very common in Europe, and of course in the United States as well, there, there were no child labor laws. And you had children that were working anywhere from 12 to 16 hours a day, Monday through Saturday. And they, they worked in factories, worked a lot of different places uh, in those days. And there was no school, organized school system like we're recognizing today, our, our educators and all that are part of our education system uh, in, in our county and our city here. Uh, they, they didn't have that as organized. And so Robert Rakes, he felt like, hey, we need to have, have something for children. We need to have a place where we can teach them to read and write. And so that was the birth in 1780 of Sunday school. It was a place for children to come to church on Sunday. People would be worshiping, but there would be those volunteers that would begin to teach children how to read and write. In fact, some of the churches actually paid, uh, paid their volunteers. They paid them to help teach. And that's how it started in 1780. By the time of Robert Rake's death in 1811, there were half a million children enrolled in Sunday school just in England. By 1810, it had spread to the United States, and it spread like wildfire. Now, at the first, people were very skeptical. How can you have school on Sunday? You're supposed to worship God. You're supposed to honor what we would call the, the Sabbath rest. And, and so you, you, that, that just didn't seem right. 
But as the years went by and people realized this wasn't something evil, but this was something that was very good, teaching children to read and write, but using the Bible, teaching God's Word. And eventually, it would grow into being more than just a children's program, that students would become involved and adults would become involved as well. In fact, in our own country, in 1920 to 1960, Southern Baptists experienced the, the greatest period of growth they had ever had in their almost 200 years of existence. The best growth was during that time, and Sunday school led the way because of it. And so where, where do we get this from God's Word? Well, your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at, at God's Word about how important this was in the, in the life of the early church as well. In Acts 2, beginning in verse 41, follow as I read. Those who accepted his message, talking about Peter, Peter just preached on the, on the day of Pentecost. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to the church that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day... They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together uh, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then just a couple of pages over, chapter 5, verse 42. Chapter 5, verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Here in our scripture, and along with what we saw with this revolution that took place with Robert Rakes, we have the birth of small group Bible study. Now, in our passage, you see the two aspects of what a church is supposed to be and, and what a church is supposed to offer, what church is supposed to have. They have large group. Notice it says that daily they were in the temple courts. Daily they were there. Daily in the temple courts, they were worshiping. It's amazing that in the, in the temple courts, it was a large area, what we call the temple mount. It was a large area for people to get together. And so they would have their praise, they would have their worship there. But then later in our text, we see that they gathered also in homes. That's the small group. The temple uh, courts was like maybe what our children call big church. They come in here and they call this big church. It's the corporate worship. But then the home to home was time to delve into the word of God in a small group where you could ask questions. When you're worshiping like this, you can't stop the preacher and say, hey, what did you mean by that? I've got a question about that. I need, I need a little more help here. And what about this? We can do that in the small group. Can't do that in big, in our big worship time. This is a time where we are praising God and the teaching of the word. But in a small group, you can do that. And so as we talk about that this morning, why is it that sometimes people fail to attend the Sunday school. Well, let me offer six uh, reasons why people may, may choose not to attend. The first one is this. 
They're afraid they will be put on the spot. They're afraid they will be put on the spot. And I want to encourage our teachers. You listen very closely now, all right? People are afraid that you're going to ask them to pray. That's why a lot of people don't come to Sunday school or a small group. They don't, they're afraid. They, they've never prayed publicly. And so they're afraid that you're going to ask them. Another issue they have is reading Scripture. You'll say, hey, why don't you look up Hezekiah 13, verse 2? Did you catch what I just said? There, there's no such book in the Bible named Hezekiah, verse, verse 13, all right? But I use that as an illustration. It might as well be Hezekiah 13, too, to a, to a person that maybe does not even know uh, uh, anything that much about the Bible. They, they don't know how to look up Scripture and, and, and find Scripture where it's located. And another reason is they, they may uh, be afraid that you're going to ask them a direct question. And so, again, a lot of people fail to come because they are, they are afraid that they're going to be called on to do these various things. They're going to kind of be put on the spot. So teachers, don't do that. Don't, don't put people on the spot. If, ask for volunteers to pray, you know. If you know that they've prayed in the past and they're fine with praying publicly, well, of course, call on them. But don't call on the stranger, the person that you don't know that hasn't volunteered or you don't know very well. Don't call them to, to look up a scripture passage that they may not be as familiar with. And then also be careful about direct questions. A lot of people don't want to be just asked that direct question. Uh, ask for volunteers to give the answer to some of your direct questions. And so that's, uh, again, one of, one of many reasons. Another reason is this. Uh, sometimes people are just too lazy. They're just too lazy to come on to Sunday school. Now, I know you're not lazy. You're here at 8, 8.30. All right? So laziness is not part of your excuse, but it is the excuse for a lot of people. Listen to this passage in Proverbs 24, 33, and 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Now, we know that that uh, laziness can be seen in people being sleepy and, and, and doing their own thing, whatever they want to do, and it can create laziness in their life. But we can also see spiritual laziness that can come about. And you can identify spiritual laziness when the spiritual well goes dry in a person's life. And, and so we need to be careful of that spiritual laziness and we're going to see one of the benefits is Bible study. We, we need all the, the spiritual help we can in our world. Now, I understand people do what they want to do. I, you do. I do. I mean, we're getting ready for football season. And, and one of my favorite things is to, to watch my favorite team, the Florida Gators. I like to watch them. And, and I like to also watch other SEC games. But I'm going to make sure that I make sure my schedule, unless I've got a wedding or got a funeral or there's a family uh, gathering that we need to be a part of, I'm going to make sure I plan everything else around that. Make sure I get stuff ready for church for the next day. Make sure I have my message prepared. All those things that I may do on a Saturday, I'm going to make sure I'm just like you. I, I'm going to do what I generally want to do. And a lot of times people fail to add that spiritual dimension to their life that could be could be the, like the icing on the cake, so to speak, and Sunday school is a part of that. A third reason why people may choose not to be a part of Sunday school is they think it's boring. And I'll have to agree, I've been in a class or two that I thought, that's pretty boring, all right? Pretty boring. But there are plenty of other classes. And on top of that, if you did happen to have a teacher that maybe is not as sharp, you know, you could pray for them and encourage them and work with them. Our Linda and I had, a, had an interim pastor of our, uh, our home church, 
and um, and 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 I have to admit he was he was pretty boring. He was a, he was. He, he had a, an education job. And he was great at his education job. When it came to preaching, you know what we did? As a church family, quietly, we began to pray for that preacher. And by the time he finished his interim, we thought he was a pretty fantastic guy. In fact, some people wanted him to be the pastor. And, but we prayed for him and encouraged him. You can do that to your teachers. So, well, teachers... You can add some excitement to your class. You get teachers' quarterlies, a, a teacher guide. Use good teaching practices. You're a guide. You're a facilitator. Don't spend the time preaching, you know, uh, uh, in, in your Sunday school class. Save that for the worship service. You teach. You facilitate. You, you guide. And, and, and use those teaching methods that will be appropriate for whatever age group that you're teaching. Uh, a fourth reason is, well, it will, do, it will not do any good. It, it just will not do any good. I heard a story about a boy one time. He asked his dad, he said, Dad, did you go to Sunday school when you were a boy? And he said, yes, son, I went to Sunday school. And he looked at him and said, well, I guess it won't do me any good either. <laughs> and some people think that. And some people act like that, like Sunday school, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to help them. But the truth of it is, it will help when we go with the right attitude and the right spirit and want to study God's Word. There's a fifth reason, and that is it's for kids. I mean, it did start. Sunday school did start for kids. But as the years went by and as it developed, it became also for students and adults. All of that is uh, encompassed uh, these other age groups now, and it's not just for kids. Maybe you grew up in a denomination or church didn't have Sunday school. But I know that for Baptist life, it has been one of the most important ministries that we have and that we offer. And the last reason is ignorance. Some people are just ignorant about what Sunday school is all about. So let's spend these last few moments that we have, and let's talk about the benefits of Sunday school, of Sunday morning Bible school, of life groups, small groups, whatever we want to call it. Here we call it Sunday school. But let's talk about the benefits. The first one is this, and I think uh, maybe one of the most important is that we study the Word of God. We study the Word of God. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now remember uh, that we're this, the context of what we're talking about here. This is, this is the day of Pentecost. Jesus has, has died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again at Easter Sunday. Forty days later, he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, we have Pentecost. We have the birth of the church. We have the Holy Spirit coming down and indwelling believers. And from that moment on, every person that becomes a child of God, that's their Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit indwells us, is at the moment of our salvation. And so here it is Pentecost. 3,000 people are saved at this particular time. And it says that they began to, to uh, teach the apostles' teaching. All they had was the Old Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. And surely they taught the Old Testament. They taught about how the Messiah was the fulfillment of all those prophecies. I mean, 300 prophecies about just about his first coming, much less his second coming. But all those prophecies, all those beautiful images about Christ in the Old Testament... And you had eyewitnesses. You had the apostles. You had Matthew and his account. 
You had Mark, and Mark, his main source was Peter. Peter is the main source for the gospel, Mark. And then you had Luke later on. Luke would be written. And, uh, but then you had John. That was a firsthand account. So you have at least three of the four gospel writers are right there in the temple as well as the, the other eight apostles that uh, were with Jesus all of the time. You have them giving the firsthand witness, the apostles teaching. They were teaching the word of God. The Word of God is our source. It is what God has given us as our guide for all that we do. And here we find it being done in the small groups. Let me remind you of the importance of God's Word from Paul's words in 2 Timothy. Remember in 2 Timothy, Paul is coaching this, this young protege of his, Timothy. He's going through some persecutions. There's some false teachings that is out there, some persecutions, some people are, are being deceived. Listen to what Paul says. But as for you, talking about Timothy, as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In, in a nutshell, in just four verses, Paul talks about, Timothy, you've had this testimony. You've been convinced. Continue in that study. Continue in, the, in that frame of, of mind. But understand, the Word is inspired by God. Inspired by Him given to holy men through inspiration. And it's, it's, it's there for you for, for your teaching and for rebuking and for correcting and for training. Everything we need to know about salvation is found in God's Word that leads us to God through Jesus Christ and the cross and, his, and, the, and the shed blood of Christ. But it also teaches us the good works how that we are supposed to grow in Jesus Christ. We see the importance of God's word. But would you not agree with me that in today's world we find people that are very deficient about their understanding of God's word? There's less and less what we call Bible literacy. Even though there's a, a, a high amount of people, large percent of people say in the United States they believe in God. But then when it comes to actually believing in God's word, they, they don't believe in God's word. They don't believe in absolute truth. That's why we're seeing uh, such a divide in our nation today on different worldviews. Those of us that believe in a biblical worldview and we find this secular worldview that is, that is being thrown at us has been there, but even more so in our faces than ever before in our lifetime. And here we have the Word of God, the precious Word of God. We're to believe and understand it has a word for us every day of our life. And yet there is some illiteracy when it comes to the Bible. There were two lawyers. They um, met at church. They, they were kind of surprised to see each other at church. And they got talking about the Bible. And one of them said to the other, he said, Hey, I, I bet you don't even know what the Lord's Prayer is. I bet you $50 you can't even quote the Lord's Prayer. He said, Lord's Prayer, that's easy. 
it goes something like this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And the other lawyer that challenged him pulled out his wallet and said, well, you surprised me and gave him $50. <laughs> Bible illiteracy. And we have an opportunity to study God's word together. Can I encourage you that, to make sure that you bring God's word to church? Now, if you want to use a smartphone, that's fine with me. If you want to bring your tablet and use your tablet, that's fine. I'm going to bring my hard copy of my Bible. And I think that would be good for all of us. And when we talk about Scripture, let's turn to it. Let's look at it. Let's study it together. Let's mark our Bibles. Coming over, our Linda had asked, what are you preaching on? I said, Acts 2. She pulled out her Bible, and she had it all marked up. And she actually read something that, that uh, uh, she had either heard from me or from her own study she had put in the in the column of the Bible. That's the way it ought to be for us. By the way, if you do use your smartphone and use your tablet, I'm praying God will give you a virus if you check your Facebook or email right now. Okay, no. <laughs> but, but have God's Word open. It's our text. It's God's Word that will help you to be a better husband, a better wife, a better parent, a better child a better boss, a better employee, a better citizen. And it's also the roadmap to how to get from Selma, Alabama to heaven. God's word. It's, it's precious to us. And we need to keep this in mind as we gather uh, in this small group. See, again, in this small group, teachers are prepared to share with you and to make the practical applications of God's word. I challenge you. Now, number two, a second benefit is this. We fellowship with the people of God. Let's look down in verse 42 and then verse 46. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship. Down in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts. Fellowship. This is the benefit of being together, fellowshipping with the people of God. When we fellowship together, we're building community with one another. Now, let me tell you, if you only come for the Bible study, you're, you're not getting all the benefit of what your small group is about. We need to be together in a fellowship setting, building this community, strengthening ourselves in the, in, in the body of Christ. And that's awful hard to do here in the large group. Now, I know some of you, I've seen you, and, and, and remember, I've been a part of church life all of my life. I've always enjoyed going around and talking with people and, and sharing. I see you doing it. You go to probably your, maybe some of your closest friends, whatever. And it's great seeing you reconnect on Sunday morning. I, I know a long time ago, uh, church life, we'd all come in, and the organ would be playing, and it would be like funeral dirge kind of music, and everybody's supposed to be really quiet, you know, entered the holy temple in quietness. Well, I'm glad that day's gone, all right? I think we, this is family. This is family time. We're meeting together as the people of God. Now, I enjoy you know, good church music. I enjoy all spectrums of church music, whether it be the hymns and, and some of the classical things in, in church. I, I enjoy the, the, our contemporary music as well. I enjoy the whole spectrum of it. But when it comes to, to being together, we want to fellowship together. But it's also hard to fellowship right here in the worship center. The best fellowship occurs when we're in small groups. When, when we're together in the small group with people. 
Now, I know people have a, have a hard time. They think, hey, uh, I, I, I want to make sure I know lots of people. But the truth of it is, studies have been done on this. In, a, in any size church, you only get to know about 60 people, 50 to 60 people, really, really well. Now, you might recognize other people. You keep coming in and out of a church. You recognize people, see them here on the platform. You see them around. You may see a lot of people, but to really get to know people, it's only about 60, roughly, people. Now, if you're in a small church that's running 60, yeah, you know all of them, and you know all their, their history. But it's awful hard to know everybody in here. Do you know everybody's name in here? You might know their faces, but I doubt you know everybody here. And for sure, you don't know everybody in the 11 o'clock hour. You may know a lot of people that go there. But to really know people and to fellowship, you need that small group. That's what's proposed here in Acts chapter 2. Here they are. They're meeting in the, in the temple courts, a, a courtyard that was made for 100,000 people. Arlinda and I have been on that temple mount. Some of you here, you've been on that temple mount. When Herod the Great built, rebuilt the temple, he built it for 100,000 people. And right now, when, when the Muslims are having Ramadan and other things, you'll find 100,000 Muslims that are up on top of that Temple Mount. But when it was created, it was created for a very large group worship. Again, it doesn't make any difference what size the church. You're still going to have small group, the necessity for meeting in small groups. And so that's why you have this passage of Scripture that lets us know of the small group so you can have true koinonia. That's what fellowship is. The word fellowship means koinonia. It means to, to have friendship and to be able to have it in a small group setting that you might be able to share. Now, parents, I, you're just like us, like Arlinda and me. We wanted our kids to associate with the right folks. Because if they associate with bad company, the Bible tells us, you know, a, a bad company corrupts good morals. That, that, the scripture talks about that. Now, we need to have a witness with everybody. We ought to be able to witness, and it doesn't make any difference. I mean, Jesus associated with sinners, and, and so should we. But when we talk about the week in, week out, if, if our children associate maybe too much, they could be swayed. That's true of adults, too. If we're always in a crowd that is suspect, we're going to have issues. But when you're in a Sunday school class, the Sunday morning Bible study, they will hold you accountable for how you are living your life, you will hear the word of God. And so fellowship is an important aspect of holding us accountable together. And so we fellowship. Many of your classes, you drink coffee and have refreshments or whatever, and you're standing around and you're talking and you're sharing together. And then you have parties and that's wonderful socials and you, you, you have even closer fellowship. Important to meet together and even to eat together. I mean, it says it here, does it not? Hey, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and with sincere hearts. They must have been Baptist people, don't you believe? Must have been Baptist people. I heard the story about a teacher one time, uh, a public school teacher, and it was a, a first grade class, and she said, bring something that symbolizes your religion. So the Muslim boy, he brought a prayer rug. The Catholic girl brought a rosary. Another little boy brought the Star of David. The Baptist boy, he just brought a casserole dish, all right? And we laugh at that, but, you know, Baptists are good about eating, and we love to fellowship. There's something that strengthens our lives when we come together in true fellowship. 
Do you know the author of the, the hymn, Blessed Be the Tide? Uh, it's Blessed Be the Tide that binds us, all right? But Arlinda accuses me of saying tithe, T-I-T-H-E, all right? Just a Freudian slip sometimes. But listen what he said. Blessed be the tide that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Third verse. We share our mutual woes and mutual burdens bear. And often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. That leads me to the third reason, the third benefit for Sunday school. And that is to show the love of God. Let's look back in verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I remember studying this even back as a teenager. This is not communism, all right? This is not socialism. That, that's not what this is being taught here. But what it is being taught is that we give generously to those that have needs, that we have the responsibility of the church. By the way, the reason the government had to take it over is because the church failed in its responsibility to take care of the needs of the household of faith and also help in the community. We, we kind of lost that along the way. But here we're reminded in the early church, how did they know that they had needs? Well, they were meeting in small groups. They realized that people had needs and they wanted to care and help those people along. And it's in that small group that we find that we are able to see the needs and then we're able to meet the needs of the people. You know where this came from? It came from Exodus chapter 18, the way that we organize. In Exodus chapter 18, we find Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses, and he, he sees Moses is working from sunup to sundown. Moses has this long line of people the children of Israel, and he is having to be their judge. He's having to settle all the conflicts, make all the decisions. And so Jethro, uh, Moses was just running himself to death. And Jethro said, Moses, I mean, you, you've got to stop this. You need to be teaching the law. You need to be teaching the word of God. You can't take care of all the needs of the people like this. So uh, let, me give you, let me give you some help here. Organize them. Break them up into groups of 150 and 10 and assign capable men that will lead these various groups. And listen to what Jethro said to Moses in verse 23. If you do this, you'll be able to handle the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. We have people in our church that always will have needs, legitimate needs. You've been there. I've been there will always have needs that need to be met in the family of God. But how do we find out about it? Almost 90% of the time, we find out through Sunday school classes, through Sunday school people. They hear something's happening to one of their members and they pass it on. Someone's having a baby. Someone's having surgery. There's been a death. Someone needs this and needs that and whatever. And the needs are shared with the, with the church family, shared with the church staff. I've been on those occasions where some people said, hey, you know, I was in the hospital, but no one came to see me, or there was a death, and no one called to, to share words of sympathy. And we usually traced it back that they had not been involved in a Sunday school class. They had not been attending, and we just didn't get the word. But when somebody's involved in that small group, we almost 90% of the time or more got the word. One of the blessings I've had as a pastor through the years is to arrive at the hospital when there's been some crisis 
and already find Sunday school members there. Our emergency room and find Sunday school members there. Or there's a death and already find people at the home that are already bringing in all the necessities for food and all the things. Plates and, and, and water and all kinds of things they bring. Paper towels bring to the home. And people already answering the door. People already answering the phone for the family. And it was Sunday school class members. We, we have a need to show the care of God. And lastly, as we come to the close this morning, we testify of the salvation of God. This is the last benefit. We testify of the salvation of God. Let's look at verse 41 and 47. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's important in our church that we teach God's word. So we come together, we study the word of God in small group. It's important for us to have fellowship. That builds community within the church. That's the small church and the big church. It's important for us to care, minister to one another. But it is also important that we reach those in our Sunday school class and in our community for Jesus Christ. And Sunday school is the assigned organization in the life of the church to do that. No other church has other ministry uh, at, at Elkdale has that responsibility specifically of reaching the lost people and having an introductory place for them to come into the body of Christ. So here we want to place the importance of sharing the benefits of salvation when people do come sharing our testimony, sharing about Jesus Christ through the word that is being taught. We have an opportunity of building those kind of relationships. So it's important for you to, wherever you are, invite people. Invite people to church. But let me tell you, less than 10% of the people that you will invite will ever attend church. And the reason is because they don't know how to enter the buildings, how they would be received. They feel a little embarrassed. They're unfamiliar with what we do. So let me suggest to you that when you do invite people to Elkdale, do something like this. Hey, there's a, there's a small group that I'm a part of. And hey, we come casual and we're not scholars. We're all students. We're learning together. Why don't you, why don't you come and be a part of what we're doing? And hey, by the way, I'll, I'll pick you up. Or how about meeting me and tell them where you're going to meet, what door? Do you understand when people want to come to church, and again, about 90% of people say they want to study God's Word, they just don't know how to get into it. Where would you come in this wonderful campus? Now, you've got good signage, but it still is unfamiliar. It's really hard for people. We had the same thing. Uh, in every church I've ever been a part of. How do you get people into the buildings, especially in our world today, uh, when it's so unfamiliar? Well, you have to go a step further. So if you will invite people at least three times and tell them that you'll meet them or pick them up or whatever, there's a 50-50 chance they will come and they will become a part of what you're doing. So don't give up. Don't give up just one time. And, and they, they won't come 
Don't give up on them. Keep on asking, but also work it out where they can come and be a part of what you're doing here and, and know exactly where you are in the buildings. Deuteronomy chapter 31. One of the great verses about what we're talking about says, Gather the people, men, women, children, and strangers living in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord our God and to follow carefully all the words of this law. Listen to that again. Gather. I mean, go out. Reach out to people. Men, women, children, and the stranger, the person that is not a Christian, the person that's unchurched, new person that's in the community that needs a church home, so they can listen, learn, fear the Lord, and follow carefully. Obey the word of God. Folks, the Sunday school is the best example of what small church is to be in the large church. Study the word of God, fellowship, care, minister, and then to reach them for Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me for just a moment as your heads are closed? Eyes are closed, heads are bowed. Would you not agree that Elkdale is a, a safe place for people to come? And while worship may be an introductory where people can come anonymously, ultimately we need to get them into a small group. And I want to invite, maybe there's somebody here this morning and you're not a part of the small group. This message is aimed for you. It's aimed for all of us to understand this wonderful ministry. But it's aimed at you, specifically targeted for you. And I'm praying that in the next few weeks, when we have promotion on the August 15th, that would be a great time to get connected. Get your children in, get you into a class. Brother JB is going to be putting out some uh, information on the tables about what classes. Uh, you can talk with him. He'll help you. You know some people already in some of the classes. Just begin to talk and, and be encouraged by what we've talked about today. And I challenge you to become a part of the Sunday morning Bible study. We call it Sunday school here at Elkdale. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, we've taken this time and to be reminded of what small group Bible study is all about, the Sunday morning Bible study. And Father, as this church has taken on a, a vision of changed lives and real relationships, what better place, Father, than in the Sunday school that we see lives transformed by your word and real relationships are developed in fellowship Father, some of the best friends my wife and I have ever had and our children have ever had came because they were part of small groups of Bible study. And so, Father, may, may there be a, a, a burden placed on the heart of some folks here that your Holy Spirit will begin to just nudge them that what we are about are changed lives, that we become more like Jesus, and that we want real relationships that are based on your word of transparency 
where we know how we should live our life, but we're also challenged and encouraged. And when we fail, we'll be loved and not ridiculed and not judged. But we develop real relationships. Father, our world is dying for what we can have here at our church. So help us to see the importance of the small groups and laboring together to bring it about. Father, we also pray for anyone here who has come. They're a guest today. We pray for them as they share in this fellowship. They will recognize the importance of being a part of a church that loves people, that wants to teach the word, that the word is the textbook, not the quarterly in a Sunday school class, but the Bible is the text, and it's the text in the, on, in the worship service as well. So help them, Father, as they are seeing that there's something special about this church, this community, this fellowship, that they really do care, and they do care about people coming to Jesus. They'll want to become a part of it. Bless this time of invitation as we share in public and private decisions you would have us to make. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.